Well, praise the Lord. I think we should bow and pray for the Maguires. Uh, that's a good group of young people. We're so thankful again for all the parents who bring their children out. out. Um, uh, so thankful for that. So thankful for the ministry uh, that the Maguires have uh, every, every, uh, every uh, December taking our young people and teaching them about the why the Lord came, the significance of, again of the manger scene. And so thankful again that all of you happen to be gathered here, and I just want to wish everyone a Merry Christmas. Uh, so, so glad that we get to celebrate and we, we get to really focus on the real message of, uh, and, and it is an amazing message when you really think about it, isn't it? You know, when you start to think and you start to comprehend and you start to ponder the significance of the one who came, you know, he's none other than the eternal God, the creator again of everything, and whom each one of us are ultimately all accountable to. You know, and it's amazing to look at John's gospel because John's gospel, again, calls him the eternal word. You know, and right from the beginning of the gospel, it, it, it identifies Jesus. It, it, it doesn't want any ambiguity. It doesn't want any doubt about who Jesus is. So he begins the gospel in this way. He says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. So here we see the word. Here, here, and here the word is even identified a little later on as the him who came in human flesh. In other words, none other than Jesus Christ. And we have that the word, here it is, eternally is with God, but he's also God. And it brings out one of the most distinctive uh, doctrines in Christianity, which happens to be the trinity or the triunity of God. God exists in three distinct per, uh, persons, not three modes of existence, but three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Yet there is only one God. It is a mystery, again, we can explain it properly, but it is a mystery that, that confounds us to truly comprehend in our finite minds. But the second person of the triunity, and when you think of him, you think of glory, you think of majesty, you think of honor, you think again, this one is worthy of all praise. And when you think this time of year, how he came, he came in that cow stall because there was no room that happened to be again in the end. And we've tried to sanctify it. We tried to clean it up. We tried to clean up all the animals and the stench and everything else like this. We tried to romanticize it and make it again such a peaceful scene that happened to be again right there. But, but as he came, it really showed the filth of the world that he was entering in on. It really showed the fallenness that happens to be again around us. It really showed, again, why he came to save sinners. You know, and we've made this point, I think, all the way through this month in various different times that we talk about Christmas, our, our, the, uh, our celebration of uh, Christmas, to be really important to keep Christ as a central focus in all that we say and all that we do. We realize our world that happens to be again around us, even though they love the manger scene, even though they love the little Jesus, you know, in that little uh, trough, you know, with the angels, with the shepherds that happen to be gathered around. You know, even though they love that whole scene, they've redefined what Christmas is. So much so, if you talk to the average person that happens to be on the um, uh, street and ask them if they love Christmas, everybody loves Christmas. Everyone loves, again, and the reason why, they've redefined it. You know, it's about what? It's about meals. It's about parties. It's about presents. It's about families. It's about, again, my own personal joy, isn't it? You know, and I think, again, when we happen to be believers in the Lord Jesus, we can go in, in that direction. We can forget about the Christ who came to purchase our salvation in our life. 
And even as believers in Jesus, we can concentrate so much on the manger scene, so much on the manger scene, that we don't see the significance of why Jesus came. Because there's so much. There's so much more, isn't there? Than this simple manger scene, no matter, again, how adorable we think it is. Ron Hamilton, who we lost this year, was a great saint of God, you know, and having gained a great servant of the Lord. And for those who don't, do not know Ron Hamilton, those who happen to be getting a little older in our congregation might recognize the name. He was famous for Patch the Pirate Clubs because he was Patch the Pirate. You know, in his uh, early adulthood, he actually lost one of his eyes through uh, cancer and he put a patch over it and he, and he began to compose various different Christian stories and, and, uh, and uh, children's hymns. You know, and he put them all together in these various different programs. And they, they, they were great. They, they taught the young people the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And a lot of um, adult Christians today owe their salvation. Again, the, the instrument that God used was patched a pirate in all the books and all the entertainment that happened to be again right there. But he was also a prolific hymn writer. In fact, again, many of the hymns that we even sing today are written by Ron Hamilton. You know, and he also wrote Chris, uh, Christmas hymns. You know, and you look at many hymns that we sing, they go around and they tell part of the story. But what, what, uh, what uh, Hamilton did, especially in, in this one hymn, is he got right to the point. What is Christmas about? And he wrote the hymn, Born to Die. You know, and even by the hymn, even by the title of that hymn, he's telling us the whole purpose of the incarnation, the whole purpose of the manger. The whole purpose of the coming of Jesus Christ in human flesh. In fact, he says it right in the first stanza. He says, on the night <coughs> Christ was born, just before break of morn, as the stars in the sky were fading, or the place where he lay, listen to what he says, fell a shadow cold and gray of a cross that would humble a king. You know, and there it is right there. You know, there's this shadow over the cross. Jesus came for a particular purpose. The next two stanzas read this way. Jesus knew when he came. He would suffer in shame. He could feel every pain and sorrow. But he left paradise. With his blood he paid the price. My redemption to Jesus I owe. From his throne Jesus came, laid aside heaven's fame in exchange for the cross of Calvary. For my gain suffered loss. For my sin he bore the cross. He was wounded so that I was set free. Incredible, isn't it? And I wonder again as we ponder Christmas, as we ponder even this season, Christmas Eve and tomorrow, you know, is this our whole intent? To make this Christ, to make this message preeminent. Because I, know, I, I, I don't know about you, but we sing a lot about holly and jolly, don't we? You know, we sing a lot about, again, joy. Joyful, 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 we shall... Well, I'm not even going to try that. Uh, but, but we sing a lot about that. But I think one of the most stressful times of year is Christmas. And then I think married couples argue and bicker more at Christmas than any other time of year. Because there's this added pressure that happens to be, again, upon them. You know, they want to make everything perfect. They want to get the perfect presence. They want to get the perfect atmosphere. They want to have the perfect meals and everything. And there's all this pressure. You know, and, and it's in, 
it's incredible because some children growing up, you know, they can remember something of the presence, something of the tree, but it's anything but a joyful time. And the reason why is because there's all this bickering, all this fighting, all of this stress that's carried into this Christmas season. And maybe that describes your family. Maybe that describes how you grow up. And here's the amazing thing about the cross of Christ. Here's the amazing thing about the gospel of Christmas. It really changes us. When we realize what Jesus has done for us, and we're concentrating on that through all of these stresses, through all of these trials, through all of this fatigue that we call, again, this joyful time of year. All of a sudden, when things start happening and going wrong that happen to begin in our life, you know, when the fallenness starts coming, all of a sudden we're patient. We realize the patience of God in each one of our lives. You know, all of a sudden we're more forgiving. All of a sudden we're loving in places we never thought that we would love because we recognize the great forgiveness, the great love of God. And here's the amazing thing. Christmas actually becomes more joyful. And you know why? It's because there's one in his rightful place. You know, he is preeminent. He is preeminent in my thoughts. He is preeminent in my aspirations. It's all about his glory. It's all about the fame that happens to be of his name. And I wonder, what do we want most this Christmas? You know, what are we striving for most most this Christmas? Because it's amazing, because Hamilton ends that hymn this way, and I think it's an excellent prayer that each one of us should have this season and every season, for, for that matter. He says, excuse me, dearest Lord evermore, may thy cross I adore as I follow the path to Calvary. Of thy death I partake, and listen to what happens, my ambition I forsake, all my will I surrender to thee. And let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, at the fall is going to enter in on your Christmas. There's going to be disappointment. There's going to be heartbreak and all of this. You'll want this joy. You'll want this family time. You'll want everything to be perfect. And when something happens, here's the question. What, how are you going to respond? Because it's either going to be about you or it's going to be about Christ and his magnification and who he is. That's the question of Christmas, isn't it? Who's it about? Is it about me or is it about Christ? And I really want us to take this morning and really start to prepare our hearts for, for tonight, for tomorrow, for, the, for this whole season, you know, as we enter into on, in on it, that we might um, truly uh, seek to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just want to bring out, sorry, my throat is really, really dry this morning. And I just want to bring out a couple points, and I, and I hope it will help us to really glory in the Christ of Christmas. And the first one is, you know, in Christmas, you have to realize that Jesus, that in Jesus, God the Father is well pleased. He's the only one. God the Father is well pleased, not, not in you and I, in and of ourselves, but he's well pleased in Jesus Christ. And you can see that in our text that our brother read in verses 27 and 28. And look at what it says. It says, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say, Father? Save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it 
and I will glorify it. Now, I don't know about you, but I think, again, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can enter in on, on some of what Jesus is saying. You know, if we've been a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can just imagine the anguish heart of Jesus. I mean, this is the Thursday before the Good Friday. You know, he knows, again, in that very uh, eve, uh, um, uh, as uh, just after the Passover meal, that Judas is going to uh, leave, he's going to betray him, and all the events that are going to take place to put Jesus on the cross are going to transpire. And he says, now my soul, again, is so troubled. And think of it. Because this is the innocent man, right? He, this, is, this is one who has never sinned in word and thought and deed. You know, never had a, a sinful compulsion. And therefore, he knows how dirty and degrading and how repulsive and even the thought of sin in Jesus must have just turned his stomach. He realized to the nth degree what it deserved. And he knew that he was going to be made sin. For sinners like us. And he can imagine the anguish of his soul. You know, and it's something to ponder. I think it's so instructional. You know, this Christmas season, when we read in verse number 27, it says, Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say, Father? Save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. And one of the things that I'm amazed at you know, because we realize that this season is going to be stressful, is how little we pray. Isn't it, isn't it true? Now, here's the perfect man. Here is God in human flesh. Here's the perfect man. And in his anguish, he prays to the Father. And I wonder how many times we are praying to the Father, Father, help me to magnify, help me to glorify you this Christmas Season And there's a couple things that I want us to see about this prayer again of Jesus. And one happens to be right at the end of verse number 27, and he says this, but for this purpose, right? He's talking about the anguish of his soul, but for this purpose. And then he says this, I have come to this hour. Now think about it. Because what does he mean, I have come and what he means, beyond a shadow of a doubt, is why there is a manger scene. Why there's shepherds on the hilltop, you know, glorifying, singing praise that peace has come between man and God. You know, why we have the virgin birth, why we have the three-year uh, three public ministry of the Lord Jesus, well, why we have all of his teaching, why we have the temptations of Jesus Christ, why we have all of that. It all leads to this our, this purpose. So Jesus says, why would I ever pray? If this is why I came into the world, why would I ever pray? Father, deliver me, deliver me from this hour. And, and imagine, you know, because uh, Richard read more than what we're going to look at in this passage of Scripture, and I'm so glad he did, because he's facing opposition from those who happen to be in Jerusalem. And many of the people that are opposing Jesus at this time, he sees their sin. And guess what? He's still going to go to the cross and die for them. Many of them are going to come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ on the day of Pentecost and after. And it's an incredible scene to really consider because when people bump us, when people can somehow sin against us, we can get, become so bitter, so vile, uh, uh, so uh, so repulsed by them, 
And yet when we look at the Lord Jesus Christ, we see none of this. You know, and why? Because he came to this hour. We forget this so often at Christmas. This is the reason. This is the culmination of the purposes of what we call the incarnation, the enfleshment of deity. And imagine if Jesus didn't pray this prayer. Imagine if Jesus prayed a different prayer. prayer. Father, deliver me from this hour. Imagine if he left Jerusalem at that point. Would we be celebrating the coming of the Son of God, the Son of Man? You know, and the answer is absolutely not. He came for a specific reason, and I think we need to glory in that. I think we need to ponder the significance of the babe in the manger. We look at the helplessness, we look at the sweetness again many times of a baby, and we get so lost in that we forget what lay ahead of this one who would take the sins of all the redeemed upon himself. We need to marvel in this truth. And what follows in verse number 28 is a prayer request, a specific prayer request that Jesus has of the Father. And then, and then the answer to that, and look at what it says in verse number 28. It says, Father, <coughs> excuse me, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. So what does the Son ask for? And the Son asks for what? That the Father's name might be glorified. I mean, this is not rocket science, isn't it? This is what he wants most of all. Now, think of it. Because if we pray for this Christmas, we're having people over, we're having family get together, you know, there might be some individuals with strife and everything else like that. What do we pray for? What do we pray for? You, 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 you know, can you imagine if Jesus was like us? Oh, Father, may the lamb be cooked just right for Passover. May the seasoning just be right, so much so that my people might taste it and say, this is the best Passover we've ever had. Oh, Father, be with Peter. You know he's going to put his foot in his mouth. Just help him behave. And James and John, may they not be judging everybody, but may we just have a peaceful, maybe we just have a harmonious time. You know, that's the way that we pray many times, isn't it? And there's nothing wrong in and of itself if, if we pray that prayer. But the problem is that's, what, that's the only thing we pray about, isn't it? Oh, Father, make everything go right. May the turkey be cooked on time. Oh, may, the, may that pie and pie not fall in on itself. Oh, may, may, may everything be perfect on the table. May everything come together at the right time. And may everybody eat and at the, at the end say, we are so blessed to have this cook in our house. You know, that's what we want, isn't it? We want all the children to open up the presents and just jump up and down, jump up and down, jump up and down, and then come afterwards and say, Mom and Dad, I am so blessed to have you as my mother and father. I can't believe everything that you have done. Mom and Dad, blessing upon blessing, right? And that's what we pray for. And let me ask you a question. If that's what you're really hoping for, where's Christ? Where's God? Because you know beyond a shadow of a doubt you've never had a Christmas like that. The fall will come on your Christmas. Things will happen. You know, what do we pray for? What if we prayed something like this? Father, whatever happens, help me point others to you and your glory. Help me to help others see Christ 
and be brought to praise and worship you. Help me not to make it about me, but about you. Because you are ultimate. You are worthy of praise. You are preeminent. Use me to make much of you in whatever circumstances you have chosen for me through this Christmas. Let me tell you, that's what Jesus prays for. Jesus prays, Father, glorify your name. Doesn't matter what comes, glorify your name. And you know what the answer comes back? The answer comes back, I have glorified it, right? Past, and I will glorify it again. And it's amazing because you can imagine, I don't know what it's like to be in some of these things, how, how amazing it must have been. I mean, I, I suppose, suppose we have electronics and we have loudspeakers and everything else like this. It's easier to imagine, you know, to give it at least an explanation. But what must it have been in the ancient world? Then all of a sudden, this thundering voice from heaven comes down. You know, and everybody recognizes it. It's supernatural. This is not right. And this is the third time this has happened, isn't it? And the first two, again, are a little more common, are a little more recognizable. And that is when Jesus goes into the baptismal waters, when he comes out, the Spirit of God again lightens on him as a dove. And then there's this voice from heaven that says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And then the second one happens to be on the Mount of Transfiguration. Here's Peter, here's the sons of Zebedee, and they witness this. And all of a sudden, the voice from heaven this is my son, listen to him. And in each instance, there's this sense of this Father God who is so well pleased in his son. And why is he well pleased in his son? Because he says this, I have glorified it. Right? The Father glorified through Jesus Christ the, here it is, the it. Now, here's the question. What's the it? And the it is the name of the Father. It's who Jesus is. And it isn't amazing because this is what we failed to do. And this is where Jesus succeeded, where we failed, right? Here's one of the most famous verses in the, in the Word of God, right? Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the... What is sin? Come short of the glory of God. And what's the glory of God? So much so that I worship God above everything else in my life. Where life is about his fame. Life is about adoring him. Life is about having, wanting others and desiring others to adore Jesus Christ. The epitome of sin is that we do not glory. It's not just doing the right thing. It is that we do not treasure the one we ought to treasure with all of our hearts, with all of our minds, with all of our souls. And this is where Jesus Christ succeeded, where we fail so miserably. But not only has he glorified his name through the Son, but he also says this, and I will glorify it again. Now, 
If you read through the passage of Scripture, it's easy to see what he's talking about. What he's talking about is the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus being hung on that cross. The whole purpose of him coming. And think of what glorifying means. It means showing who the Father is. Showing the worth of the Father. Showing, again, why we should treasure. Why we should worship this one. Showing his majesty. Showing his character. And here's the amazing thing. When you look at the cross, the cross is the greatest revelation of the character of God. In fact, you see all of the character of God on display. You see his wisdom. You see his sovereignty. We see his justice. We see his grace. We see his righteousness. We see his love. We see his goodness. We see his severity. We see his judgment. We see his forgiveness. And all of these attributes, you know, that are so many times in... uh, in opposition in each one of us. None of these attributes are in opposition to God, but they work perfectly through the cross work of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the Father, think of it, is glorified in accepting us into his presence based upon what Jesus Christ has done. So this Christmas, we can be absolutely assured of our salvation in Jesus Christ. It's an amazing message. You know, but the question that we have to ask ourselves, are we still amazed at that message? Is that message absolutely preeminent this Christmas? Because I'm afraid that so many will walk out, whether they come back tonight or not, they'll wake up Sunday morning, and this is what they'll have. They'll have a Christ, here it is, and I'm talking to believers, they'll have a Christ-less Christmas. And I'm not talking about, again, they go off in horrendous sin or anything else like that. Jesus Christ is just absent from their lives. Jesus Christ is just absent from their celebration. Jesus Christ is not even mentioned. Jesus Christ is not even there. Live a well-pleasing Christmas. And how you live a well-pleasing Christmas is by having Christ-centered. There's only one that has been well-pleasing. And we can follow his example. And that happens begin Jesus Christ. But the second point I want us to see again, and I hope it will help us in our worship of our great God that happened to be again above, is that we need to see this Christmas. We need to see why Jesus Christ came. And that is that we have a need as sinners. And look at verses 29 and following in our passage. It says, the crowd stood there and heard it and said, it thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. You know, I think it's absolutely incredible to think how God the Father is magnified through the work of the Son. You know, in the way that he's magnified, Jesus glorifies the Father by providing this eternal salvation, what's essential for sinners, to come to the Father. And he meets that need. So please understand, if, if the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is having a transformative effect in your life, if you're becoming more like the Lord Jesus Christ, then what you care about most of all is that what you treasure in your heart, what you love in your heart, what's preeminent in your heart, others will 
treasure, treasure others will find as preeminent. You know, so if it's God the Father who is preeminent, if it's Jesus Christ who is our great treasure that happens to be in our heart, then we will want others to treasure him. If it happens to be money, if it happens to be present, if it happens to be family time, if it happens to be, again, this idea, again, this, uh, this idyllic joy, joy, then we will treasure that and want others to see it. But is it Jesus Christ? Is it the great need of salvation that's found in him and him alone? It's incredible, again, how that changes us, how it causes us to love our enemies, causes us to treat people new and surprising ways that we never thought we could. And I think we do not revel in the truth of the gospel, this truth, again, of the Christmas gospel that we've been looking at, that the all-majestic, all-great creator and sustainer came and dwelt with us for a particular reason. And he dwelt with us for a particular reason to die. And let me just say this, death is death except Jesus' death, right? After death comes judgment, but with Jesus' death comes life. You know, it's amazing to see that because in this passage of Scripture, because I think, you know, um, if you've had radio, if you've gone through the mall and everything, you hear all these Christmas carols being sung, and it's amazing, all of these secular artists who, who sing all of these Christmas songs, how uh, you have the, all these various different choirs, these made-up choirs this time of year that are not even Christian, will sing all these Christmas hymns, and they sing the Christmas hymns, and they sing them joyfully, and they miss the message. And let me tell you, that's exactly what happened in the passage of Scripture. The voice, thunder down, this is my, right, right? I will war. You know, it came down. And they missed a message. Oh, it was just thunder. It just sounded like Doc. You know, it was an angel from heaven. Oh, it was anything, it was some other uh, heavenly personality. You know, and they argued about themselves, and they missed the message. And Jesus even tells the whole reason why the voice came from heaven in verse number 30. And it's not primarily for him, even though he was in distress of spirit. It says, Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Right? right, The whole point, how God is going to be glorified, how, how he's going to be praised, is by meeting the need of sinners through the death, through the hanging of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And in case we've missed a message, you know, all of this did, just didn't happen by happenstance. You know, when you look at all the cross work, when you look at everything that led up to it, again, we look at the miracle of the virgin birth, but when you look again here, um, a little over 30 years later, when Jesus comes to the cross, when you look at all of that, you have to realize all of that was planned out by God. Every step of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, in fact, every step of our life has been planned out. But when you look at that, all of it came to pass because of the sovereign plan of God, because of the sovereign love of God. You know, he tells us that the ruler of this world, this is what it's going to look like on the cross, that the ruler of this world has triumphed. And he says the ruler of this world is going to be judged. The great accuser of the brethren is going to be dealt his death blow. And then he says this, and he says, and when I am lifted up from the earth, and please understand when he says when I'm lifted up from the earth, he is not talking about his resurrection. It makes that clear in the passage. He is talking about his death. When I am lifted up, other words, on that cross, this is what I'll do. We'll draw all people 
to myself. He said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. Well, to all people. And what he means by all peoples, all kinds of people, from every tribe, from every kindred, from every nation, from every tongue, from every people group, that he would bring, again, them all together in this glorious kingdom. You know, of people who have put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't know if you get the grand scope of Scripture sometimes, and the grand scope that even happens to be of this passage of Scripture, because there's big uh, brush strokes that happen to begin right here. And think of it. Because here it is in eternity past. There is nothing. And here it is. God ordains that there would be a fall. You know, when he creates this world, that sin would enter in. He ordains that Jesus Christ, the second person of the triunity, would come in human flesh, live that perfect life, die that substitutionary death. He ordains that you and I would be born. He he ordains that you and I, at a particular time in our life, even though we're not searching for Christ, even though we blaspheme Christ, even though we've trampled the worth of Jesus Christ uh, underfoot, that the Holy Spirit would come and open our hearts and give us new life so much so that we want to believe, we want to trust, we want to follow Jesus Christ. And he ordained all that. And may I say this, this is absolutely extraordinary. He's ordained every single person who happens to be here this morning to be here this morning. I mean, we're chosen by God to come into his presence as a congregation, individually and corporately. He has chosen us. We are elect of him right now in this congregation to praise him and glorify him. Now, if that doesn't take your breath away... I don't know what does. And it's all met through this need of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for us today. And what do we do at Christmas? How do we treat it? And the answer is fall down and worship. To be overwhelmed with his love and the grace that enacted salvation's plan and fulfilled it in our life. Christmas always points to that. Nothing is by chance. You know, and I wonder again, as Hamilton pointed out in that last stanza, that Christmas hymn, Born to Die, if it's our prayer this Christmas, you know, even as we leave this place, here it is, Dearest Lord evermore, May thy cross I adore as I follow the path to Calvary. Of thy death I partake, my ambition I forsake, all my will I surrender to thee. And if we pray that prayer, the response that we're going to have this Christmas is a desire to glorify Christ no matter what comes. So the question is, is Christmas, when the fallen world comes and things go desperately wrong, who is it going to be about? Is it going to be about you or is it going to be about Christ? You know, even as we wake up tomorrow morning and we set this this day aside to remember Christ, to remember his coming, to remember the significance of it, remember that's why we have December 25th. Really don't know when Jesus was born, but we have this day to concentrate on that. 
What are you going to do tomorrow morning? Maybe it's time to start a new tradition. Maybe when you get up, and I know this is going to be hard for a lot of you, maybe there shouldn't be a whole bunch of hectic, rip, rip, scrap, scrap, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe we should sit down and read Luke 2 and rehearse why we're here this morning. Maybe we should talk about the greatest gift and the significance. Maybe we should remind one another of the glory of Jesus Christ and all that he's done for us. Maybe we should set a time, even after opening of all our gifts, to pray and thank God for the greater gift, the more necessary gift in our life. All these presents are going to be gone someday, right? All of them are going to be gone someday. But here's Christ. And let me tell you, everything that is done, every meal that is eaten, every present that is given, and we know this, is going to be gone. But only what's done to glorify him. Last. Let's live a Christ-filled, worshipful Christmas. Let's have a well-lived Christmas for his glory. Merry Christmas, everyone. Let's bow our hearts in a moment of prayer. Father, what an amazing text. Lord, even the one that was chosen this morning from 1 Timothy that gave the reason why Jesus came. He came to give that offering for sinners. Lord, we're thankful for many hymn writers who turn into poetry uh, words, phrases, emotions that many times we cannot bring out in our normal vernacular. And God, we thank you for this hymn, Born to Die, that really takes the gospel, really takes the Christian message, the Christmas message, and distills the whole reason why Jesus came. He didn't come to remain in the manger. He didn't come to give us a warm feeling. He didn't come, Lord, that we might look at the innocency or even the angelic pronouncement, Lord, of peace and just leave it there. But he came for a specific reason, and that is every single person in this room has a need. Lord, we all have that debt of sin, but one came to pay for that debt. God, help us to make and to live and to revel in having a Christ-filled Christmas. We thank you so much. Just be with us now, Lord, as we close. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Brother.